Welcome to the HTML All Things Podcast, episode 81, The Customer Experience. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. If you've been enjoying that podcast and you want to support us, there's a couple ways you could do that. You could review us on Apple Podcasts or on the platform that you're listening to this on. You can also check us out on that Patreon. We only have a couple of tiers, but the $3 tier will give you a shout-out in the podcast, and we will share a link to your website in our show notes. And the most important one is just to tell your friends that we're here and ready to be listened to. And if you or your friends are, are ready to go a step further, come hang out with us in our Discord server. Discord server is well over 300 members now, so come check out our various programming channels and off-topic channels and all the rest of it in there. But moving on here, we could pain point. Mike, take it away. All right. Uh I'm going to steal your weekly pain point, Matt, just because we were talking about it before. You son of a bitch. And I'm stealing, you son I'm of a bitch. Because it, it applies to both of us. Year-end stuff. Oh, the yeah. weekly pain point has been stolen. Oh, yeah. Uh, but because it sucks. Like, I hate doing this. Both of us hate doing it. Like, we always... I mean, I don't know. We don't leave it to the last second, I'd say, ever. Um, but we don't keep up with it during the year. We Well, we have we have all the papers and everything. Like, to be clear... We do have all the papers and everything. We just digitize it at the end of the year. And I just feel like that is a mistake now. It's reached it's reached a critical mass where it's not one day of me sitting down with all of my receipts and just digitizing it. It's a matter now of being like, holy crap, there's a lot to digitize. Yep. So yep. we've reached that point where I think we need to just do it during. Because it wasn't that bad before. It'd be like three invoices each month. So that's like 36 invoices all year or 36 like receipts and stuff all year because it's like your web dev, web dev business. I mean, you pay for an annual subscription for your hosting. That's one invoice. I mean, what? Now it's gotten it's gotten to the point where we're just like every day for like a week or so, we're going to have to be sitting down and doing like a ton of hours just to get consolidate all our stuff. And then we're going to probably have to have a big meeting with our business advisor, accountant, and he's probably going to tell us that we're doing stuff wrong. Anyway, it's going, to, it's going to be kind of a disaster. I think we're going to be looking into maybe getting a bookkeeper for next year if everything goes well because we – I don't want to do this. <laughs> or proper or proper payroll. Maybe a proper thing. payroll system so that we don't have to like you know save a bunch of money at, at, after each month and like in the, like we don't know how much. Well, that like, yeah, that's, that, that's the thing that sucks. So like I'll just like disclose this. So like one of the things that we do – uh, and this is for Canadian law is like you pay your tax. Obviously, normally when you pay your tax, if you work for another company, you they will pay like they'll pay you a certain amount you know per hour, and then they pay you on a pay stub a certain amount. And on that pay stub, there's various deductions for various taxes or CPP, which is the Canadian Pension Plan, and all all, all that stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff uh, on there that's like a deduction that you're paying out to the government and various bodies, the provincial, the federal, whatever. We don't do that. But we have to. So what we do is you're just supposed to save money per month. And then at the end of the year, we pay our taxes. So everyone else is getting a refund because the companies, when you get a pay stub, assume how much you're supposed to pay. And then normally it's an over assumption, which is like the safer way to do it. And then you, you know, file your taxes, however you do, and you determine how much your refund is. We don't do that. We never pay out all year. We pay out at the end. And so this year has been very busy. So this is going to be one heck of a year to sort of do this. So it's going to it's going to be a little bit of a mess. Like that's that's probably why we probably should have seen this coming. I mean, we have all the papers. Like it's not like we it's not like we're so, like you know some people are so disorganized that well, I mean, they don't paper, have any. Like I barely have any papers anyway. Most of my receipts are digital. Like the, the, no, no, that, that's what I mean. Like any yeah, like, we like paperwork, digital our, yeah. or or physical paper. Like we yeah. have it all. Like it's there. Yeah. What I'm saying is, is a lot of people will 
not even have that. They'll lose everything. They'll they'll not have it. You know, seriously yeah, yeah, though, they yeah, won't know no, where anything right. is. And then at the end of the year, they're like, "Holy crap! Like I don't know how much I made." Whereas for us, it's just a matter of putting it into a program. I mean, at least <laughs> at least we're well, that far. And we're we're actually even farther than that because everything's already actually in a program. Most ninety percent of everything's already in a program. We just have to classify it because we do use QuickBooks, and it's tied to all of our accounts, so it oh, kind of automatically right. yeah, yeah. gives us you know its best approximation of what each transaction is, and we just have to make sure that it's correct and change it as it goes. So it's not it's not a disaster. It's and just all a, our invoicing is through there at least. So it's exactly. like all our income is automatically disclosed because QuickBooks connects to an accountant. Like yes. automatically, like he can log in anytime to see it. Yeah. So I think I think we're okay. It it is a weekly pain point, and it's probably going to be a, another whole week of weekly pain point. Um, but we'll get there, in my opinion. Like I, I think I think everything will be fine. We're probably overestimating and you know complaining too much on this part, but whatever. This is what we do every year, so it's fine. Well, well, one of the things, just as a final closing note, is Mike and I for this year, literally were. We've gone from like totally fine to like panic to like in between to like whatever because we don't know whether we saved enough. We didn't know whether we did this enough, that enough, like whatever. So it's a matter of like, it's a matter of we are guessing at every stage minus us actually putting the shit into QuickBooks, which is pretty self-explanatory in terms of like how much we owe, what we need to deduct, like whatever, which like accountant's going to do, thankfully, because hell if I know. Um, Basically, we're at the point where we're guessing. And that's what we kind of concluded before we jumped on this recording was that <laughs> we're guessing at every stage we should probably just fill in the QuickBooks and go to somebody or go to like our regular guy, obviously, because yep. this is just out of control. Like we we had estimates of like, do we owe like, do we owe like more than we saved? Is that the problem? But then we look at the percent and we're like, wait a second, but we saved more than we were recommended to save. So like. Now what's going to happen? Like it's literally gone that far. It's like, oh my god! Like we need to save money into this year to pay off our taxes. But then it's like, wait, but we saved a bunch. Now how does that work? And then we're all confused and we don't know what our tax bracket is. That's where we're at. (laughs) So thank God for accountants and moving on. Um, This is a me heavy episode this week. Uh, I'm Matt heavy. If you haven't, you can't detect my voice. My, my, I'm a little bit nasally today. Um, But basically this episode is going to be all about the customer experience in two different ways. So two different segments as well. The first one is going to be during the engineering design and maintenance phase uh, for when you're building them a website or a product or an app or whatever you're building them. And then the second one is going to be a little bit different. So it's when you're on a long-term upkeep sort of schedule. So when you want to allow them to do DIY maintenance, so for them to do their own maintenance and for um, their or your customers versus their customers. So like, what do you do with that? So I'm going to talk, have a conversation with that. But anyway, moving on here, segment number one, uh, engineering, design, and maintenance. So when a customer approaches you with a project, it's important that you see it from their perspective as much as you can. So unless you're in a very specialized niche, you're more than likely to have a bunch of competitors that do the same thing as you. So to stand out, you need to offer value over your competition. Now, this obviously comes into play when you're talking about web development and web design because it's a pretty popular field and someone else out there can build the site. It's not like your customer goes to you and you're the only one that can build a WordPress site. There's a bunch of people that can build a WordPress site. There's a bunch of people that can build a Webflow site. You know, the list goes on. So your customer experience can be one of the most unique parts of your business and that can actually add a ton of your value, if not all of it. So specifically, your customer experience should A, cater to all their needs, 
B, ensure each step of the process is, or the procedure is clear and concise. They, the customer, needs to understand what's going on. And C, only involve the customer when necessary. That's actually one that people overlook a lot, and that's actually pretty critical. So I'll just go over these in more detail. So A, cater to their needs. Oh, I'm going to make sure I'm recording. There we go. <laughs> I accidentally closed the window. Um, A, cater to all their needs. So your procedure uh, should cover each aspect of their project entirely. Obviously, you might cut some stuff from them, but at the end of the day, when you've consulted with them and they agree on this is my final final product, your procedure should cover every piece of that final product. Now, to be clear, again, if they come to you with 18 things and you can condense them and they agree to it, do it. If they come to you with 18 things and 15 of them can be cut and they agree to it, obviously do it. This is not me saying just do whatever the customer says. Consult with them, talk with them, go through it. It's an engineering process. It's a design process. Come to an agreement, but when that agreement is reached, make sure that your procedure covers all these pieces. Now, this includes backup plans uh, for parts of the project that could be interchanged. So, for example, different vendors for processing payments. If you were planning on using Shopify and all of a sudden that doesn't work and they need to use a more formal invoicing software, maybe they need to use QuickBooks, for example. Uh, whatever their process is. So something that just something that you're maybe not researching a lot, but something that you need to keep in mind. Another example, um, another example would be pulling from a different API. So if they don't like how if you pull in all their information onto a web app and they don't like how this information is organized in this particular API or they don't agree with the date format or just something that is really hard to fix or not possible to fix on your end, then you can absolutely you know, change API normally. There's usually a few out there for each thing. But just keep in mind that you need to know, like, hey, I'm working on API 1 and API 2 exists. So if they complain about API 1, I need to, you know, quickly just read up on API 2. You just need to be sort of aware of that. Moving on to B here. So B is ensure each step of the procedure is clear and concise. So it's important that the customer knows exactly what is going on at each step of the process. This helps alleviate customer frustration and misconceptions. So, for example, if a customer thinks you're doing X and you're actually doing Y, then you may be stuck doing more work and redoing a bunch of the stuff you've already done to accommodate X. So if they think, hey, like, I'm going to have a big CMS and I'm, everything's going to be editable and it's fine, a lot of the time customers will just assume that type of thing. Some WordPress is a good example. WordPress is a big enough brand where some people just think websites are WordPress, especially non-technical people. And when you make them a site, a regular one, they might, a regular one, a static one, or in a different CMS even, or no CMS at all, they might say, whoa, you know, where's WordPress? Like where, you know, what happened to WordPress? We've had that a couple of times. And so it's important to realize like, hey, we need to do, you know, discuss this stuff immediately. Everything needs to be clear and concise for them. So they know you're not getting WordPress, you're getting this. Everything needs to be clear and concise to you so that you're not installing WordPress or installing a CMS when it's not needed or wanted, that type of thing. So you don't want to be redoing work or adding work to it and all this stuff. And then there's an argument of like, well, since there was a misconception, do you eat the cost? Do they eat the cost? You know, what's going on? Who's charging what for hours? You're, now your quote's going to be wrong. It's a whole thing. So make sure basically it's very your procedure is very clear and concise from both ends of the spectrum, really, from the customer's end and your end. Now, if the customer knows what's going on, which is the ideal situation, they're actually less likely to contact you with additional questions or concerns, which saves you a bunch of time. So you would normally, and this is going to move into C, but you would normally have a procedure in which 
you involve them at certain points. Like, hey, I'll 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 ping you when the logo's up, or I'll ping you when the pa- when each page is done, and you can look at it in this demo site, and you can call me with feedback instead of them calling you every day asking you when something's going to be done, or hey, can I log into WordPress really quick and do this? And you're like, well, I don't use WordPress, and it's like a whole thing. Instead of all of those calls, normally, and every customer is different, but normally you can evolve, you can lessen or actually mitigate completely or remove those completely from your schedule and have them only call on more or less fixed intervals or even if the project's just complete, depending on how simple it is. Just to add to that, actually, real quick, uh, the big portion of this segment, and A and B, would be the uh, requirements gathering. So the, it, you, you've mentioned it a couple of times with like the, the, the initial communication and stuff like that. Uh, but the big thing that you try to do in this segment and to get to that last point where if the customer knows what's going on, they're less likely to contact you. The best way to get there is if you and the customer both understand the requirements that you've outlined. Now, this is a, a lot easier said than done app, like part of the process, because a lot of the times what's going to happen is you're going to go through, gather the requirements as best as you can. But there's going to be misinterpretations of each point or of some points at least. And you're going to put your best foot forward on those points and the customer is going to come back and be like, well, yeah, I wanted a form for people to be able to sign up to, uh, you know, my email list. But and you put that in the requirements, but I actually wanted it to look like this or I actually wanted it to sign up right into MailChimp that I've already set up. You should have known that I already set up a MailChimp, but right. you didn't know that. Right. Like those kinds of miscommunications are going to happen and your job initially is to try to alleviate that as much as possible and then also to then adapt as much as possible as you can to a certain degree because sometimes it's going to be really ridiculous um for for instance let's let's go with that mail form like let's say you set up a mail form you've explained to them like okay you know you can set up this mail form uh, I'm, I'm setting up you up a brand new one. It's going to go to your email and stuff like that. And you can organize it with your time. You both agree to it. And then he, com- he comes back and he's like, well, I already have a million people in my mail form. I need that to be fully integrated into the website. And I actually need it to be on launch day, which is like a day or two ago. Those kinds of situations, although rare, could happen. And that's where you have to put something maybe in the contract uh, to kind of, you know, put some of the pressure away from you or, or see, try to be reasonable and explain to your client why that's not possible in the time frame that they outlined. Those are the kinds of situations that are hard to come by, they're hard to go through, but it is part of the customer experience that you should expect. Not everything is going to be really easy, um, but the more you do it, the more you gather requirements and the more you get those, that feedback back and those, those conflict, uh, those conflicting points, the better you will be at it. It's tough to be able to put your, you know, be perfect on the first try. So just keep trying to evolve your process. Don't like, you know, make a form of requirement questions and then stick to that for 10 years. Always, always like improve that process after each and every client that you have. So again, if they have some sort of an issue with one of them, maybe build that issue into your next client's form that that's a good point actually to bring up the fact that it's never going to be perfect i would say you're there's always going to be something missed even if you did your due diligence and that person still wanted their thing in mailchimp at the end of the day and they never really verbalized that a lot of that will actually come down to i don't want to blame the customer but sometimes they will assume a lot of stuff and so you're not going to blame them. You're not going to be like, yo, you're an idiot. <laughs> you should have known because they're not really supposed to know. But at the same time, you couldn't have known without them telling you. So there's just some stuff that's going to fall through the cracks. 
you know, you can go over email over and over and over again. And if they say, yep, I'm good with it emailing me. And then all of a sudden they're not, I mean, it's not like you didn't do your due diligence and they were probably just mistaken or they didn't know what was going on or the situation changed. So it's just, that's important to know is that if your procedure is consistently missing things, then maybe you need to take a look at it, but your all procedures or any procedure is not going to be perfect. It's not going to catch all everything. Uh, moving on to C then. Uh, so C is uh, only involve the customer when necessary. So this is one I actually think that people either do too little of or too much of. So I'm just going to go through this. If your procedure isn't clearly laid out, you're likely to find yourself constantly contacting the customer for information that could have all been collected in a single phone call or email. Now, while you'll certainly want to contact the customer when needed, of course, it's important to reduce the amount of times you do so. So relying on their answer can actually delay you for days or weeks, especially if they're slow to respond. And constantly contacting the customer for information or content may actually cause them to overthink what they're sending, which could result in them them requesting a redo or modification to an already completed step. So to kind of go over this, you want to keep your customer in the loop, of course, especially if you've discussed in A and B or like in the in in the gathering in the information gathering sort of process. You want to you know keep them in the loop, and if you say to them, "I'm going to contact you every Friday," or "I'm going to contact you every page complete on every page completion," you want to continue to do that because they're going to want to know what's going on. You don't want you don't want to do ten of the fifteen pages they wanted, then have them call you because you didn't call them, and then they're like, "Well, I actually changed my 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 company colors to red," and now you're you know stuck changing a bunch of crap. So you don't want that if you can avoid it. So that's exactly what. That's exactly what you, or that's exactly why you should contact them on a regular basis. But there's also that other side of the coin where if you keep contacting them and if you keep doing stuff, humans are indecisive. Humans don't really know what they want. Sometimes they do, but in general, humans don't know what they want. I mean, we humans, all of us didn't know we wanted smartphones and now most of us have a smartphone, for example. We didn't know we wanted computers and then now I'm on a computer right now. You're probably listening to this on some sort of computer whatever. Well, you are. You literally have to be. You have to have some sort of computer, whether it be your smartphone or whatever, to listen to this. So we didn't know we wanted computers, and now we do. So if you keep contacting them and keep bugging them for stuff, so if you're like, hey, how do you how do you like the header? How do you like the font? How do you like the, the font size? How do you like the, the font type? How do you like the content layout? How do you like the justification? How do you like... They're going to get into this, this pattern where they're going to be like, oh, I can just change stuff at will. And they're going to start overthinking stuff and like, let's change justification. Let's do this. Let's change that. Let's go here. Let's go there. Let's move that. Let's move this. But if you send them a bunch of stuff, like on your regular thing, if you send them a full page, if you send them multiple pages, whatever you agreed upon, normally they'll, you know, they might come back with some feedback, but it'll be like, they look at it. They look at it at a more high level because there's more there. And they just go like, Hey, can we change the headers to red? And then that's it. It's not going to be like, Hey, let's move the header. Let's move this. We move that. And I want to be clear here as well. Every customer is different. We've talked about this in other episodes. Some customers want the communication every day or they want the communication where they're involved in every step of the process, which involves you more. So as long as you're both okay with that, do it. But if they're not asking for that or they're not indicating that they want that, you and your website you're making for them is normally less of a priority. If they're running a landscaping business, their priority is to do the latest landscaping job that they have on the go. Their priority is not to contact you. Your priority is doing their website. So that's something to keep in mind is that they may want that website, but that website normally isn't their main priority unless it's 
what their business is. And that's often not the case. Because if people are tech savvy enough to launch a business online, often they'll go with a custom built or like a, like a, not a custom built, but like a Wix or a Squarespace. They're not going to come to you for something that's custom built or come to you because they usually are, the reason why they're coming to you is they want to offload it. Like, here you go. Like, I don't want to do this. I have to go build this garden because I'm a landscaper. Go do this. They don't want to be constantly called during their landscaping day being like, how do you like the title? And be like, dude, just build the site and I'll talk to you on Friday or whatever. So just something to keep in mind that I think a lot of people overestimate, especially when they're first getting into it. Another so, – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So just one thing right on right on topic with that is I think I like to put my best foot forward a lot of the times, especially after you go through all the trouble of gathering all the requirements. That's the heavy communication phase. That's where you will probably have to have a meeting with a customer and stuff like that, and you'll have a lot of questions and answers. Once you go through that – one of the better ways that I've seen it done is when you, like Matt was saying, instead of sending them like a header or like here's the font, put an entire page together that can be used and stuff like that and throw it and throw it at them and be like, this is what I've come up with. What that does is it shows a, your professionalism because you've already put something together. The customer can see a whole complete product pretty much. And B, it will allow the customer to make the adjustments that they were going to make anyway and much more clear rather than adjusting something 15 times like Matt was saying like the, if if you ask them to adjust something 15 times they might and that will over, that will throw out all of your designs you're the professional in this case that's why they hired you so a customer wants to see what you can do with the information given to you not what you can do with all the information given to continually fed by the customer so treat it like that for the most part now obviously like Matt said every customer is different some people want more control I'd argue to say that you you should push back on customers that want a lot of control because, again, you're the professional in this case. You should be able to put your best foot forward and then allow adjustments to a certain degree. Now, don't you know put your best foot forward, put a page out there that they've kind of approved already with a wireframe and then get them to tell you that you have to redo every little piece. That's a bad customer and client relationship. Like that's not you working together. That's him working against you essentially. You want to stop that. But for the most part, it's going to be you put your best foot forward. They'll be like, oh, this is perfect. I just needed to change like some wording here, some font here, and that's it. That's the best way that I've seen it done at least. That, yeah, that, that that's a good point where where you're – sometimes you're actually – actually, I don't know what the opposite of opposite of impressing a customer is. I don't, can't think of the word that, for the opposite of that. But if you don't, if you don't put your best foot forward, they might think you're incompetent. They might think that you're not not confident in the work you're doing for them, and they might think like, "Whoa, this guy doesn't really know how to make this website. Maybe I should have went with somebody else. I would have just thrown it all together with their best professional opinion, or you know, whatever the market asked for." That's a good point where they might, I mean, they might pull your skills into question. And I like the pushback. So we'll do that. We have a couple. Like obviously, again, every customer is different. Some guys want to be contacted every week. Some want it every day. Someone every few days, someone every milestone, but like you should push back a bit and try to make it. So it's like, no, no, I think, you know, use your professional opinion. I think I should contact you at the end of the project. I think I should contact you at the end of, uh, at the end of the CMS installation, or I think whatever you think you should push for that. Now, some customers ain't going to go for it, but then you got to adjust your price based on that. If they want to do a two hour phone call every day, that's two hours labor, right? Depending on what you're doing. If you want to go on a long-term contract with them or whatever you're doing and you want to negotiate one of those hours to be waived, 
then whatever. But make sure you adjust appropriately. If you're going to work on their site for four hours a day and then they also want to do a two-hour phone call, remember that your two-hour phone call is not going to be while you're coding it up normally. We've had customers that like to see the site change live with like a live editor with like Webflow. That's fine. And like sometimes some of that development work would get done during that time. But the bigger stuff, obviously, it needs to be kind of taken off air and do it, do it done privately. So just make sure you budget anyone who's a little bit more higher maintenance. It's fine. But they need to just pay a little more because they're higher maintenance, of course. So I think we'll move on to uh, to segment number two here. Actually, I, I do want to throw in one really quick point I just thought of. Uh, one of the things I read, and I don't remember where I read it. This was years ago, is at the end of the email, most people will say, let me know what you think. That is fair only when you actually want to know what they think. Don't actually give them that option or that out if you don't want to know. They, if they're strong, if they have a strong feeling about something, because they're paying you, will let you know anyway. And I'll often put now, if you need any help or assistance, let me know. Or any questions or concerns, let me know. I don't, I don't always put that even. That's up to my discretion. And I don't rarely put let me know what you think, unless it's something like we're designing something and they'll be like, we tried four types of style and then on the, you know, whatever. And I'm like, hey, let me know what style you think. That's something where I literally need and want to know what they think. But if you give people an out, if you give people a, an opinion, an opinion spot, they're going to start thinking because they didn't know what they wanted in the first place. They're going to be like, well, it'd be nice if we move this. It'd be nice if we delete that. And maybe we should like not have this. Maybe we should add six pages. And then it blow, then it balloons. So just at the end of your emails, if you do not need or want to know what they think, don't ask them. Please let me know what you think and let me know any feedback. You could be kind and say, if you need any help, if you have any questions or concerns, please contact me. But oftentimes that's just like, that's a very general end and they'll just kind of read over that and not think of it. And if, again, if they actually need help, they will, they will ask help. They have, they, if they have real feedback, they will contact you about that. So segment number two, just like a small brief aside for that, but segment number two, uh, upkeep. DIY maintenance and then your customers versus their customers. So this should be interesting. So if you're making a basic static website after completion, uh, you and your, and you and your customer will, uh, you know, more than likely part ways built on their site. Here's your business card site. It can't be edited Bye. that's it. Okay. However, if you're doing something a little more complex, like maybe a WordPress or CMS, you may need to go a step further. Now you may require to, this is like a big thing, train the customer in person. A lot of people forget about this. If they don't, they haven't used WordPress or they haven't used the CMS you're using, Couch CMS, whatever it is, they haven't used that before, you're probably going to have to train them on it. Now, this is probably done usually via a, a custom guide of some sort, via whether it be a video or a written one. And this, and you might even need to help them publish content, you know, moving forward on an ongoing going basis. Some people are just writers and they don't want to deal with anything on the site. They don't want to deal with formatting. They, they're going to write up a Word file and you might have to put it on. So that's a long-term contract long-term agreement basis. Now you can speed up this procedure by using the same CMS for more than one customer and making your guides more general. So for example, here's a major, a major time-saving tip. If you make three websites for three different customers, you can make a single guide for how to publish a new post. Let's assume they're all on the CMS, all on the same CMS. So you can make one, one guide on how to publish a new post rather than three slightly different ones, which are all branded for them and they are like using their their exact website's backend as a screenshot if you know you're going to be using wordpress all the time and you know that people are always asking how to make a new post make a single guide to like as a general guide for them as an aside 
using the same CMS over and over again actually allows you to get better and faster at building websites with it. And the additional experience can also help you fine tune your customer experience. That just makes sense. That's just your practice makes perfect, basically. Just something I wanted to bring up. Now, if your project is more complex and it's upkept by you on a long-term basis, then you may have more responsibilities than just one, than just your customer. You may also be responsible for helping your customer's team slash employees and even their customers. So for example, if you create a forum for a customer from scratch and are hired to support it in its entirety, long-term, whatever, you'd be responsible for your customer, right? The guy who commissioned it. You may also be responsible for helping their team, your customer's employees, if he starts getting big and starts hiring people. So you need to help them like kind of onboard and that type of thing. And, and so like moderators and stuff like that too, if this is a forum, just as a real world example. And then the forum members, the people who sign up and post their customers, essentially the forum members themselves. Now this situation changes the customer experience entirely because you'll need to provide guides and support to people that are working on the forum and those members. But here's this key in confidence of each other. So for example, members shouldn't see how admin tasks are performed necessarily. It's kind of a need to know basis. You don't want to let someone know if they somehow break in. This is how you delete stuff. Like you don't want to like let them know stuff. It just doesn't make any sense. So for forum workers, for the, for the, your customer and any admins or any of that, they'd need help with advanced administrative features like managing user accounts, changing site preferences, maybe some technical changes, etc. And the forum members, the people that are signing up and just using the forum would need help with formatting posts easily, easy and managing just their own account. They're not managing anyone else's account. So easy, right? But the members, okay, shouldn't be able to see how the admins manage the site for security purposes. So to deal with this sort of ongoing arrangement, you should be, you should create, at least in my opinion, some sort of self-serve support, whether it be an FAQ on the site, Documents stored in a secure place that's accessible only by admins, YouTube guides for the users, um, a full-blown wiki. This is a popular one. A full-blown wiki for everything and everyone. And I don't mean like a public wiki for that, – that's on like – what's those wiki sites where, you know, a specific game you – if you're a video game player, if you're a gamer, and you like specifically look up some content on the game Ark Survival Evolved. There's a lot to that game. If you want to like look up something specific, there's like a wiki for that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying there's wiki software out there that you can install on your site specifically and have it so that it, you know, it's like your site.com slash wiki and it's your own little personal wiki for your, for your people. So that, that saves them, saves them a lot of time. Uh, or that, that saves them a lot of time because they don't have to call you. It saves you a lot of time because you don't have to call them. It's one of those, it's one of those situations where they, a lot of people, especially nowadays, will want to actually look stuff up themselves to an extent before they call because they don't want to, I mean, we're millennials, we don't want to call people. So anyway, having a self-serve support solution, okay, and I'm just going to go, this is going to go over some of this, will help cut down on the amount of service calls or emails that you receive. And furthermore, okay, if you're upgrading or enhancing the product, this is big. Or enhancing the product as time passes, which you probably will be because you're going to be working on this, you will just be able to update the guides instead of instead of dealing with another round of calls every time a new feature or change to the UI happens. So yes, you may get some people that call, but for the most part, you can schedule a change in your wiki to the new UI, push the new UI and have that schedule line up. And so if someone wants to know how to make a new post and that new post button is now called 
is now not even called new posts. It just has like a big plus symbol. Your new wiki page can now have the plus. Also, a lot of wikis, and depends, a lot of wikis will have locked articles. So you can say like all forum members, so the people using the forum can just go to the wiki, you know, mysite.com slash wiki, whatever it is. But then the admins can log in and they can get access to editing, probably, if you want them to, and the admin-only post. Like, hey, this is how you delete a user. This is how you set reset a password. This is how, whatever. That's like, that's how you like kind of lock it down. Self-serve um, tech support might sound like a cop-out, especially if you're one of those people that do, like hates talking to a robot. But there's a reason why it happens, and it is actually because... For the non-tech savvy, they do not know what's going on. They do not know. They're not like a tech savvy person who can stumble their way through and they know, well, I know somewhere there's a user management portal. So I know I need to like do this somewhere. If there's some, if they hire an, a moderator that is not technically savvy, they just follow your procedure. They have no idea what's going on. That's just, that's just a fact straight up. So, so just on, just on that, and I just want to, the self-serve portal, I think, is a great idea and should be done across a lot of different kinds of projects. Um, I think we were talking a few weeks ago about passive income. I think self-serve portals and these wikis and FAQs, that's what brings your income into kind of a passive structure. So if you have a uh, a service contract, if you have a self-serve portal, if most of your questions can be solved by that, and that's the whole point of frequently asked questions, then you're essentially, you know, getting paid to upkeep that self-serve portal and then only dealing with the, you know, the, the, the requests that are extremely specialized, which is, you know, for making that income that you're doing and those projects more passive as you're going. And I think that's what everyone wants as a better quality of life to be able to take on more projects as well. The other thing that the self-serve portal does for each project, if they're on a larger scale, is that it allows you to come back and look at your own questions. Because sometimes, you know, you'll be working on different projects for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden, some questions start arising from an older project two years ago. Well, how are you going to, like, you're going to forget. Like, that's what we, we've taught you to forget, essentially. Like, you shouldn't be keeping everything in your mind anyway. So how do you do that? Well, you go back to your self-serve portal, and you see if any of those questions have been solved in there. Because, this brings me to my next point, a lot of the time, people won't use the self-serve portals, unfortunately. Um, now there's different strategies to kind of force them to go in there first. So you could have it so that they have to like, be, like don't disclose your contact information until they've reached like certain points inside the web, the self-service portal. Obviously this would be for like regular form, form users and stuff like that. And the administrator should have your contact details. The people that are paying you should have your contact details, but the people that are just being hired by them to then use what you've built should have a little, like if they've continually contact you, you should build a better self-service portal where they can go through it, get most of their questions answered. And then when they don't, when they get to the point where they're like two or three stages in and you like from a user experience perspective, you can tell when they're, they've clicked too many times and they're too deep into the web service portal. That means that they need more help. And that's where you kind of show your contact details. You make a form maybe right in there that builds into your ticketing software. Like there's so much you can do with it to organize your life better and to make it so that you're not getting contacted about every little thing. That That's a good point is a lot of people will, will see the self-serve portal as a, as a cop out or they won't want to read it. And so you should need to kind of, force them to it. Uh, if they do call, one of the things that I do is I pull up, I tell them to pull up the article and I don't like hang up. I stay with them and I like tell them to go through, Hey, like this is how you do it. And then 
oftentimes they'll bookmark that because they'll you know they'll not remember it because they're not you know adding a user every day or whatever. So they'll they'll bookmark that and and sometimes you'll actually just completely offload that customer from calling you because they'll be like oh I wasn't aware there was a wiki I just like immediately called. And so they'll then use then start using the wiki. So that, that that's one that, that that's a good point, Mike. Is that a lot of people will just try to avoid it. Like oftentimes people, there's a reason why people mash zero when they call someplace because they just want the agent. They don't want to deal with some robot talking to them. So, um, but I think I think that concludes sort of the body of the uh, the old podcast here. I think it's time to work on move on over to that web news. And uh, Mike made up this one, so Mike, take it away. All right. Uh, so this week's web news is titled Working Too Hard, or I guess the other title would be Toxicity in Tech. Um, it's taken from an article on Dev.2 uh, by Nadia Primak, and the title of the article is Work Culture Toxicity in Tech. Um, so, And this is something that I've kind of thought about a lot, and it's not something that I've run into too, too much, but I have seen the social media kind of war going on, and I'm just wondering... A, from Matt's point of view, what he thinks, and B, we're going to do another Twitter poll at the end of this, uh, so stay tuned for that for, to see what our audience thinks on this topic. So with demands on developers increasing, uh, sometimes we find ourselves working almost around the clock on some projects or splitting time between multiple projects and extending our days like beyond you know, the 9 to 5 or 8 to 4 metric is, is becoming kind of outdated almost in our industry especially. Um, it is almost required for a junior dev to make it in the industry that he puts in the extra hours. And sometimes he'll put in the extra hours at almost no extra pay or no extra pay at all because he's on salary. Uh, I learned recently that in the States, when you're making above a certain salary percentage, or I think it's like around the $30,000 mark, you can't, like, you don't, you're not required to pay overtime anymore. So you can work 80 hours and that's it. You're making 30,000. That's it. So, I've heard that that's a thing. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I I don't really have a source on that, but that's a that's kind of a crazy thing to me. Um, so there, because of this, there seems to be a war going on between people that think we are all obligated, especially in our 20s and like early 30s, to work 68 to 80 hour weeks to prove ourselves, and then the other side of the coin is people that think it's insane because, you know, that's no that's kind of a crazy lifestyle to live like working 80 hours a week. Essentially you're working all the freaking time. You're just going to work, going to work and then going to sleep for a whole 10 years. Some people are saying you should be doing this. Now, the question I have is, is, is it toxic? Like, is this something that should continue as an industry? Like, should we force developers through this like gauntlet of kind of, I guess, quote unquote, hell work weeks? Um, or should there be a more standardized work-life balance where people have to work between the two? Um, and I'll give some foreshadowing. Should there be some in-between where, you know, there should be like a, a way for people to work a lot of hours. And there should also be a way for people to, you know, have that work-life balance as well. What do you think, Matt? Well, it's a good, it's a good question because we're, we're, we're in a weird place where... We're, we're business owners, we're entrepreneurs, and so we kind of see, and we've also been employees, so we've seen both sides of the coin, and we're only, you know, in the grand scheme, a few years into our entrepreneurial journey. So the other side of the coin, being employed, is a diff, is fresh in our minds, basically. We're not, like, out of touch, you know, we've, where we've been working for ourselves for, like, 30 years or something. So we're in this unique perspective, this unique period where I... To be honest with you, because I think we're in this, I don't actually know. 
And the reason why I say this is because I hear people complaining about, I hear people complaining about how, like, we're kind of at the age now where, like, a lot of people are moving out and, like, doing their own thing and they're budgeting and that type of thing. And a lot of the times they'll be like, well, you we have no budget to do this. I have no budget to do that. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't do that anymore. I can't do this. And I hear that so often that, and this will get back to the, the, the developer part, but I hear that so often that I wonder, and this is weird, I wonder whether we're not supposed to be doing anything but work. Is our society built upon that? Like, I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong or whether I want that or don't. Like, I'm saying that is our society built on the fact that we shouldn't be doing anything else? This era, like this era of time, has a lot of entertainment items. There's movies, there's TV, there's podcasts, there's 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 phones, there's all kinds of stuff all the time available for entertainment. But back in the day, it was like you go to the drive-in or you go to like the, the restaurant occasionally and you like the ice cream parlor or something like you know classic stuff that you would see in like a in like a 60s you know 60s era movie right 60s 50s and those and there there's a lot of work like the people did a lot of work during that period but the weekend they would go and they would like go to the beach or something depending on the season so but now it's like there's a demand in our lives to take in entertainment and i have this demand too right so I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether that's weird, Mike. I don't know if that doesn't make sense. But when people complain about, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I'm just like, well, I don't know. I guess you have to work overtime. But then, then that other part of my brain comes to me and says, well, it's a little bit ridiculous that they have to, you know, they're not going to have that night off and they're going to have to just work. Like, are we, I don't know. Like, are we supposed to, I think this might be a weird guilt trip thing. Where I feel guilty for having free time. And I feel like that's actually a common thing with people. Like, are should we be guilty? Like, should I be working until I can't stand anymore, going home, going to bed? And then eventually, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I absolutely, I no, but like, I fully feel that as well. Like, I feel sometimes when I sit down at the end of a work day, and I want to just play some games or watch some movies, I feel guilty. And I don't think and that's I don't, right. I don't I don't think that's right. And I don't know if that's the corporate work structure. Like we don't have a corporate work structure between us. No. Like, we don't we don't monitor each other's hours. Like I I do have some clients that I work with where I'll write down the hours that I do, but they don't we don't have a bad relationship in the sense that like they need to see exactly every hour that I've worked and what I did exactly in those hours. Like I do write pretty detailed uh notes about every like the days that I work and how many hours I do, but they're not, I've never had an issue with that. So I'm not monitored like a standard, maybe corporate employee would be. And yet I still have that same sense of guilt where like, I'll, I'll finish work at 8 PM sometimes. And I'll be like, Oh, I should play a game. But then I'm like, well, I could be doing X, Y, and Z for work. Cause I have like, I have so much to do. So should I be just going and working and, Sometimes I'll want to do it. Like that—that's another weird thing, and that's why I think that there is like some sort of a middle ground here, where sometimes I do have the sense where like I want to continue working throughout the day because I'm I'm legitimately enjoying what I'm doing, and I don't have too much issue with that. It is probably throwing off my work-life balance, yes, but sometimes a project demands it, and I really I'm really excited about a project. 
But the problem is, is that we're working for ourselves or we're working for a contract. Like we're, we're our own entrepreneurs. So the more work we put in, essentially, the more we can get back from it. Whereas a corporate, in a corporate work structure, something that we, I do have experience in, but I've never really done too much overtime. Like I, I've worked pretty traditional jobs in the sense that I worked at, in a kitchen like a long time ago where if we put in overtime, we get paid overtime. So that's the same thing. Like I'm, I'd be okay with doing that, obviously, because you're getting paid an extra and it wasn't forced either. So like if you're in a situation where you need the money and the hours arise, you choose to get it. And some, usually it was a competition to get the overtime hours, right? But in a sense where if I was working as a junior dev making $40,000, which you shouldn't be doing, by the way, like $40,000 is not good in a junior dev role. But regardless, that's a different conversation. Well, depending we on where you live as well. To be, to be clear, I, I mean – To be clear, that, that, that does depend a lot, but I still think it's too little. Well, forty grand might carry you in a in a in a different country because the currency differences. That might carry you yes, for like yes. ten years or something crazy. It might. Like, it might, it might. I, I, I'm talking North America. I, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe I, yeah, I should have been clear to North American culture. Um, but there's a lot of developers that are getting paid forty grand in North America. But anyway, again, putting that aside. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, if I was getting paid that much and I was forced to work eighty hours a week without any extra benefits, other than maybe like they'll throw me like you know a coupon to a restaurant every once in a while Whoa. because. Woo, exactly woo. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't think that that should be done. Like, I, I don't think forced overtime is the way to do it. That, that's what I'll say. Uh, non-forced, like, if a person wants to do it themselves to finish a project, and then maybe like what you do is you compensate them by giving them extra hours off during the next week or something like that. Like, balance their work life again. Like, if they put in eighty hours this week. Maybe they can work only 20 hours the next week. Like maybe not one-to-one because one-to-one would be really tough to do for a company. Like that's asking a lot. As in like if they put 80 hours in, they can take the next week off. That might be a little bit ridiculous. But if they do like a two-to-one ratio where like if you work two hours, you can take an hour off. I don't know if I've ever heard of that. I'm just literally making that up on the spot. That could be something that could balance out their lives a little bit at least if you need those crunch times because there's – in our industry, crunch time is a real thing. Like planning a project is difficult. We don't have the best senior project planners in the world in development. Um, I think that will still take a while for the, the project planners to be built up to a level where they can actually plan a project and go from you know com- start to end with a certain degree of time constraints and money constraints look like – followed like if you look at game development that's still a disaster like every almost every game development studio is working overtime like crazy like right now cd project red for witcher 3 is probably they're probably not sleeping they're probably gonna have like three or four deaths by the end of by, by the time cyberpunk 2770 comes out they did say it's gonna be like a year a year or whatever it is or months of crunch of crunch yeah like that's insane to me and that's that's people probably working 60 to 8 hour weeks and the, the gaming industry has been around for a long time so they still haven't figured it out like I think figuring it out is going to happen at some point, but it's going to take a while for the project managers and the developers to get on the same page. But in lieu of that, maybe there is a way to compensate them. Now, working a whole year at 80 hours a week, I think the compensation would be ridiculous. I think that that's a terrible design by the project managers. But if you have a week of crunch time, I think that's a reasonable amount. We're like, okay, we need to get this project done. We've almost finished it. Let's let's put in a week of crunch time. But the next week, we'll have like a half a week. 
right. of work. Yeah, yeah. Just to elevate it. So that next week will just be maintenance. This week we're going to get the crunch or like, you know, the, a variation of that. I think that's fair. And that's sometimes like beneficial for the people too, because maybe they can plan something on the week after. Maybe they go on vacation and, you know, relax and decompress. There's just so many ways to handle it other than just like, a, a gift card to a restaurant or a congratulate like a big standing ovation for the company and not giving them any money for it like i hate i hate those corporate cringe moments where like you see on videos like let's give a hand let's give a hand to the development department they managed to you know do this thing that they were supposed to do in three weeks in one week let's give them a hand all right and then everyone puts money in their pockets and the court and the developers are just sitting there doing nothing i, I don't like that <laughs> but i think there is a way to compensate both sides where the company is able to push out their products even with a little bit of disaster in planning and the developers are happy as well. There's got to be a middle ground. Well, that, it's interesting you bring up the corporate thing because – so I, I have a couple of points to hit I think. So with the salary I, with the salary idea, so you were saying that there's, there's things where if you hit a certain salary point, you don't have to pay overtime. I see that with – like as a business owner, I see that sometimes as reasonable – because like you said, we don't have the best project developers or uh, project managers. We also don't necessarily have the best, like maybe the customer adds a bunch of crap and just expects the same deadline. Like there's all kinds of stuff that falls on the, uh, falls on the, the administrative team on the, on the, the bosses essentially. And so when you're hired on salary, you're uh, like, maybe you're given like a, an, a, an expected amount of hours or whatever. But you are sort of given a task and being like, you're being paid this much per year. This task needs to be complete. And then there's no like very descript thing to say for that task, if that makes sense. So it's like, this is your task. You need to get it done. On average, you'll work 40 hours a week. But if there's half the year where you have to work 60 hour weeks, I mean, did you complete your task? Like that's the, the question at the end of the day is always like, did you complete your task? And I get that from a corporate perspective. I know people are going to be like, you're, you know, you're part of the corporate evil. That's fine. What I'm saying is, is that I get it, especially as an, as a small entrepreneur, if we were given a really large project we couldn't handle and we hired two people and we gave them a salary of some sort and we were working our asses off and then the client starts changing stuff. I mean, are, is Mike and I the corporate evil because we had to hire two people and force them, not force them, but like, you know, kind of incentivize them to work overtime or just say like, you need to get this done by Friday. We've already paid you your salary. I don't care if you have to work all night, you have to get this done because it looks bad on us if it's not done. And then it also actually screws over those developers. If we don't get that contract, we have to fire those two guys. So there's a lot of pressure where you're trying to keep your employees. You're trying to, you're trying to keep your employees. You're trying to, you're trying to meet the deadline. You're trying to keep the customer happy. There's a lot. There's a lot there that are all conflicting points. Sending your guys home every day to have like eight hours of free time and then eight hours sleep is the healthy option. But then it's like, well, we're a small business. I can't hire another team to cover their their eight hours off or their sixteen hours. Off. Like I can't hire a, a days and an afternoons team. I can't hire them. We don't have the, the money. So it's like. At what point does Mike and I become the corporate evil? Are we the corporate evil when we have those two people? Or are we just scrappy at that point? Like, like so, people expect business owners, sorry to interrupt there, but people expect business owners, to, they're fine if a business owner spends 300 hours on something in a week. They're fine with it. You know? I don't even know. Well, there's, there's 300 hours in a week, right? Or did I just make an idiot of myself? I think you made an idiot of yourself. Whatever it is, okay? If you, like, like <laughs> If you're working... Like 12-hour days. You normally work 8-hour days and you work 12-hour days. The, the the point is – yeah, they're definitely not 300 hours in a week, eh? 
Anyway, just moving on. <laughs> um, that's a Steven Seagal moment. That's a really obscure reference. Um, anyway, <clears throat> the point is, is like when when does when do the start when does the startup? Here's a question: When does the startup become the corporate evil versus just scrappy? Startups are expected to be scrappy and do crazy stuff. People love the stories of like, we, we spend a hundred hours doing this and it was only supposed to take 20, but what we did was we slept in the office and we spent all this time on this thing and we did this crazy thing and then we came out with Steam, you know, whatever. <laughs> like Steam, this new software, or like, but then we came out with monitors. We invented monitors and it was crazy and we made all this money. People love so, that stuff, but yet they hate overtime. It just doesn't, I don't know. I don't know. So, okay. Let me, let me decompress that because that – so what What I think becomes – when you become the corporate evil is when you start demanding that on every day. Like if you want – if you hire an employee to get a pro- task done and don't tell them about the hours that they might have to work. So just give them the assumption that they're going to have to work 40 hours a week without telling them that it's going to be 80 or whatever. And then every day you expect them to work 12 hours or 16 hours every single day. And that's your, that's standard operations for your company. And that's what, and you're not, you're not compensating them for that extra work. That's when I think you become the corporate evil. Because even though, like I said, the toxicity argument is that there are people on the side of you have to work 80 hour weeks to get through. Right, there is those people that you're saying that are ex- excited when a company like a startup does does 100 hour weeks and throw out steam as the product. But then there are people on the other side of the argument saying like that's ludicrous that you would organize and plan your projects to the point where you're forcing people to work in the entire day every single day to get your to get your project out and you're not paying them any extra money for that. Like it, it's the balance. So in my opinion. If there's certain situations that are not the regular, the norm where you're required because you accidentally, you know, did your project planning wrong once in a while because you're not, you can't be perfect, right? If you can, if you accidentally screwed up and then all of a sudden your employees have to work a week of extra, extra hours, that's in my opinion, okay to demand that. But in response to that, you have to compensate them in some way, whether it be monetary. So like if you if they made you an X amount of money because they worked 80 hours a week, then, you know, give them a percentage of that money that they made you or compensate them with some time off in the next week. That's the balance that I see. Whereas if you just demand an employee to work 12 or 16 hours a day every single day and pay them as if they're working regular 40 hour weeks, like if you did, like, like I said, when you hired them, you said you're going to be working standard hours, like 40 hours a week. Uh, with a few days of overtime and then all of a sudden they're working overtime every single day. That's a problem. And that's where you should be a corporate. That's where, that's where the corporate issue or the corporate cringe and the shaming should happen. Does the size of the company matter though? Like if you yeah. have a very small company that you, if we, if we were a very small company, we were hired for some very exciting project and we got two guys on board and those two guys were dedicated to the job. They're happy with their salaries, but then, you know, the salary was agreed at about 40, 40 hours a week. And then all of a sudden some crazy thing came in. It was like some crazy, like whatever it was, some crazy invention that people love. And we like started to engineer it, right? And we started to invent this thing. Smartphones. Let's say, say smartphones don't exist. So we started making smartphones. We started like the start of the creation. It goes crazy, right? Eventually, smartphones release. It's crazy. But those guys and us worked our asses off. 
are we the corporate evil at that point because we're small? I think the I think the public opinion might be that we're we're the small scrappy guys. We would be corporate evil if we didn't give them a percentage of what they made, or we didn't give them a bump, or we didn't we didn't communicate with them clearly. Like if we were, well, if well, we were, we're to, not being communicated some, with clearly. If you're inventing something new, what do you mean? So if, we, if you're making like if if we're inventing something new and we all of a sudden make you know, millions of dollars between the two of us and we're paying $40,000 to our devs. I mean, yeah. That worked 80 hours or 100, 100 hours a week to to help us create it. And we never compensate them for that time. And we never were communicated with them and been like, listen, if you were, like, we're paying you the 40, we don't know how much this is going to make because again, it's the new technology. But if it makes a certain amount, we'll compensate you for that amount. You're still going to be paid the 40 regardless. Like, it's, I, this I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're the corporate evil if you literally are just wrangling your developers for nothing. That's the shitty part. Like, when you're not communicating with them and when you're not compensating them for what they're doing for you. That's the corporate evil. Regardless of size of company. Right. In my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the communication. Like, if we were to get that task of create a smartphone obviously that's a ridiculous task but if we were to get that task and we had those two employees we couldn't afford anymore because no one's funding this it's just our own task right we our responsibility would be to sit down with the employees and be like this is what's on our table right now this could make us you know tons of money but we will probably need you to work overtime in that time now we won't be able to pay you until x you know until we're we're done and we we've, we get some money. But once we get the money, we'll either give you a percentage or we'll give you a big bonus and we'll argue, we'll agree with that and maybe sign a paper saying that they're, they're fine with it. And then we move on. And then it's not, there's no problem in my opinion because we've, we've communicated with them. They've agreed and that's fine. That's okay. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. I would say, because if we're, if, if, if you're commuting, I'd say the communication is a big one. I like that. Like if you're both going into the unknown, it's like, hey guys, next month we're gonna be starting this weird project. If you don't want to do this and you think it's gonna be unstable or whatever, then you're free to seek other employment. <laughs> like, yep, I mean, that exactly. that sucks, but it's like, that's fair. I mean, that's fair. Like, at hey least, guys, we're gonna do this. You're welcome to stay here. If not, get out. <laughs> you know, yep. like, uh, that makes sense. I like, I don't mind yep. that. Um, uh, I I struggle with this because like I'm one. I'm a person. I value my free time. <clears throat> I like to play. I do a lot of stuff. Like I watch like TV and stuff like that. Obviously, like everybody else, I like to play like a fair bit of video games. I do like another whole podcast as a hobby. Um, like it's just the list goes on. Literally, I like to just have free time. Now I do a lot of work too. Oftentimes I'll go and do something for fun in the evening, and then when people go to bed, I'll stay up even later and I'll do more work. Like I did the show notes for this at three in the morning last night. Because I was gone for, uh, like, it's it was a long weekend here in Canada, so uh, I don't even know if it's across Canada, in Ontario for sure, anyway. But it was a long... I think it's mostly across Canada, but it, there was also President's Day in the U.S., so... Oh, I didn't know it lined up with that, okay. But anyway, it was a long weekend here, so I uh, took, like, a long weekend vacation. I wasn't home. And then I came back at night, and then I just was like, oh, I need the show notes for tomorrow. And so, that like, that's your dedication step, where it's like, okay, I'm not going to... I'm just going to do it now. I'm just going to do it. So I just like did it and told Mike, okay, don't do your web news. So I'm going to go to sleep. I'll wake up and then we'll start recording kind of thing. So if I was forcing an employee to do that, some people would say that's cruel because it's like they just got off vacation. Technically, it's still their vacation time until the next workday. But like I'm dedicated enough to do it. And this is where I think the problem lies in where there's different types of people. Some people work to live. Some people live to work. And I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the answer is. Like I feel evil forcing somebody to work a bunch. But 
because like I wouldn't want to do that. But is it because I'm doing a lot of work when I'm sitting there? Like there's a lot of people that hate their job and they don't do a lot of work when they're sitting there. It's just true. There's some people that aren't very productive. Some people are not. And so you're forcing them to do overtime to sort of like comp, which sometimes are being compensated for because they didn't get something done. And this is to, you know, they're doing more hours to do the regular productivity of a regular person. Whereas like I do a lot during the workday, or at least I try to get a, like a bunch done during the workday. So like, I feel like I've done my work. You know, you know what I mean by like, if you have like a lazy day at work, you sort of like, that's sort of like where a lot of the guilt comes in where you're like, damn, like I didn't do that much. Now, sometimes it's not the case if, if it's been busy prior that week. But if let's say it's just been like, you know, normal week and then all of a sudden your Wednesday was really lazy and you're like, damn, I should have did more. I think a lot of people don't have that beat up, beat themselves up mentality, if that makes sense. Where I think if you're not an entrepreneur, you usually don't have that beat up mentality. Right. And so when you're the entrepreneur in this case, and like let's say we hire a small team of people and they're all working in their office or remote or whatever it is, our open our open concept office. Um, <laughs> but anyway, if they, if we like, this is such a weird, like, this is so weird. Cause ah, like I just, this is such a weird like topic to, to wrestle. I feel like the answer to this is you, this is just like the fair thing. You have a amount of hours that's guaranteed or at a salary at a recommended amount of hours to a person. So they're able to scale their lives that like they're able to buy an apartment of this stature, buy a house of this stature, have whatever the hell they want, get married or whatever. They get to run their lives to a certain degree, but have a, have a clause if available, because maybe there's no work available that if you want to work overtime, this is the approximate amount of overtime. You have to compete with it for other employees. And this is how it's compensated, or maybe it's not compensated. This is the amount of overtime on salary where you might have to do or over your recommended hours if you're dedicated or if the project isn't done and you will not be compensated. Like you have to work 42 hours a couple weeks or whatever it is. I feel like, I feel like what's happening is like this, there's this weird mentality of if you don't work these 60 to 80 hour weeks, you're like, what are what do they call those people? Like a, a snowflake or whatever. Like you're, you're, you're weak. Like, Oh, you're, you know, you, you just want to have free time. Like, why aren't you just at the office? Why aren't you just sitting down working? Like, why aren't you punishing yourself? Why aren't you punishing yourself to get further in your job? And I, and there's merit there. You're younger in the beginning of your career. So this is the time you should do it. Cause later you're not going to be able to, but then should you be working away your youth and not have the thing? And actually there's another side thing too. Like, I know this is like, this is such a complex problem. So you go to like Toronto and stuff like this. Okay. And there's all these like, all this like hoity-toity stuff. There's like, you know, boutiques and these fancy restaurants and everything. It's all like, oh, this is for the youth. Is it? I thought the youth was doing 60 to 80 hour work weeks. I mean, right? So, I mean, it's for the youth that's making a lot of money and not working much, which isn't a lot of us. And then like the living wages are ridiculous out here. Living, like, I'm not going to get into that. Standard of living is like way the hell like up here. Rents like yes. going up like crazy and property values are going like literally skyrocketing, doubling in a couple of years, doubling like five years. So like, so it, like, that's the question. Like, I know I, uh, like it's un, I, I think it's unhealthy. I'll say this from a medical perspective and I am not a doctor. It is unhealthy. Well, this is like my opinion. It is unhealthy to work 60 to 80 hour work weeks all the time. I think it's good to be dedicated to your job where you do good work all week. 
And then if there's, you know, a week where you're supposed to release something and it's a little bit behind to do a little overtime, that's different. Like, what I just did last night is overtime. I technically was still on vacation, but I did it, right? That's my overtime. But if you, if uh, my free time in the evening or, or whenever I take it is constantly interrupted, I start actually, and it's my company, I will start resenting the company. I will start getting to the point where I'm like, like, fuck this place. Like, literally, I don't have any other way to say it. Where I just don't want to be there anymore. I'm being treated like a number in my own company, you know, and this, and this will happen if you're an employee as well of, of somebody as well. And so I would say that, Mike's Mike's right on the communication front where communication's key. I think it's okay to feel bad that you didn't do work, but I don't think it's mandatory. Like, I wouldn't expect someone to do that. And if you want to work all the time, there's jobs that allow you to do that, but I just don't think it should be forced, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I, I Like I said, I like you said, I think you, you summed it up pretty well, the whole problem, and then where I stand on it is... It has to be clear communication and clear compensation. That's it. Now, the compensation can vary greatly. Like, it could be something as simple as literally a little bit more time off or something like that. If if you can't afford to pay your guys more, then let them take a little bit of time off or whatever. But you be clear about it and communicative. Or it could be as much as if you're, like, making something crazy and you're paying them a salary... You can have, they can have a portion of the company. They can have a percentage of the income. Like you can do something where the more work they put in, the more money they get out. And then it's up to them to decide how much they want to do to a certain degree, because obviously you need to get it done, but that's incentivizing their overtime. I don't think that overtime for the sake of overtime, just to prove yourself as a young employee is a thing. Like I I think that's bullshit in my opinion. I think there should be some, again, communication compensation. Has to be one of the two, or both. Sorry, it has to. It has to be a combination of the both. Yeah, to an extent. I mean, if if they're working two hours overtime and they're on salary once every year, or they're working even ten hours overtime for the whole year, I don't necessarily think they need to be compensated if they're on a salary. If because they need to be dedicated, I would I would estimate this is my opinion that they should be they should want to do their job enough to be like okay because we're talking like less than 20 minutes extra a day and they're not even doing it every day. You know what I mean? Like this is not, it's 10 hours of over the whole year is a joke. Like I did an hour and a half last night. I'm already 10% into that. (laughs) Like, and it's already done. I'm not dying, you know? So like I said, when it's a once in a while thing, I don't think people mind as much. I don't think it's an issue. No. Yes. Yes. It's the problem where when it's crunch time for a year or crunch time for like when it becomes the standard, that's what I, when I think it's a real big issue when it's literally like, Every project becomes crunch time and the projects flow into each other. And then you're always in crunch time. That's when it's a problem. When it's every once in a while, for me personally, and this is my personal thing, I don't mind the crunch time every once in a while because I am passionate about what I do. I am building something for the future. I I do like the people that I work with, etc. Like there's a lot of positives and I know it's temporary. That's another thing is like, I know that this crunch time is temporary. If, if it was like, crunch time all the time and i didn't think it was temporary i'd probably have like a panic attack or something oh yeah it would be too much so that's that's where i stand now for the twitter poll i don't know we'll be throwing that up with the episode like we did last week we'll have to hammer out what the questions are going to be um like it's standard it's okay to work 60 to 8 hours a week uh no i will only work 8 to 5 like 40 hour weeks 
and then the third one would be it's okay if it's properly compensated and uh, communicated. Yeah, I'll yeah I'll I'll, I'll figure out something because there's limited spacing like in that. the in the poll options. Yeah. But yeah, I'll I'll figure out something and I'll throw it up with the episode. It might it might be on Friday because our other poll actually still has two days left. I did like a whole okay. week or six days or something. Yeah, yeah, Friday. Um, but yeah, Thursday, but, but Friday, like just Friday. keep an eye on our Twitter. It might be tomorrow. But yeah, that's a good at HTML everything at HTML everything. That's right. Um, that one actually that that's a good. I just want to do one last like really quick point is so Mike. I think you said you're in crunch kind of now. Um, I I was the reason why I was on vacation actually is because I was in crunch and I completed literally just completed my stuff on Friday, a Thursday maybe. Uh, so I took off Saturday through Monday, which was a long weekend anyway. But I like took off and like specifically went on like a vacation type thing, like a what do they call it a staycation where it was only like an hour and a half away or something. But that's still a that's still okay. Whatever it is, then whatever they call it, I'm not up to the lingo. I think there's 300 hours in a week. Let's you know. Let's calm down here. Um, <laughs> but anyway, like, my crunch ended. I'm happy with it. And then it's just like, okay, you know, let's move on. And I still got a bunch of stuff to do, but it's like, whatever. So, um, we actually have a coding challenge. I know Mike has to leave shortly. He might have to jump off in the middle of my coding challenge introduction. But we have a coding challenge this week, actually. Uh, this one's going to be for probably a few weeks or something. We're not sure how long because it's a little more involved. So keep an eye out or like listen in to, to the next couple episodes, maybe next week or something. We'll like have an exact cutoff because I just don't know how long it's going to take people to do this. So our coding challenge is going to be a slider, actually. So now the parameters are we want a straight up HTML, CSS, JS. So no jQuery, no bootstrap, none of that. We want no libraries, nothing like I'm talking. You make a slider with those three things, those three technologies, no Again, no Tailwind, no SAS, none of that. I want vanilla CSS, regular HTML, and just JS, JavaScript, vanilla JavaScript. Now, there's one other parameter. I want there to be a configuration slash, almost said manifest, that's not right. So just a configuration file. I want there to be a separate file in there, okay, where you set stuff up. So whether it's an XML file, JSON, whatever it is you want to do, I want there, this, this, file to have customizations now i'm not being strict on the customizations but i want there to be at least three in there and examples of customizations are let's say in your html you have 10 slides so you have 10 slide divs in your configuration you might say limit slides to three and so you're just setting that variable to three other things such as whether you want things to be full width or not full width like maybe you could set the max width in your configuration file other things like, do you want the the thing to auto change? Do you? And then another one, actually, on top of that, is how, what's the interval? So maybe you in your configuration file set ten, and that means ten seconds, and then it will change to slide two. Ten seconds, and it will change to slide three automatically. Um, actually, another real quick one that Mike came up with earlier is, do you want UI elements to show? So do you want, you know, the little dots? At the bottom, like the navigation dots for a slider, do you want them to show? Do you want them not to? And I'm not being strict with that. If you don't want to do dots and, and arrows, that's fine. Please note that this has to be responsive. It has to work on phones. It can be tap. So if you just want to put an arrow and you want the person to have to tap and not swipe, that's fine. I'm not being strict on that. But it has to work on phones down to iPhone 5, I'd say, at, like approximately. Not, again, not super strict. This isn't like a, a million-dollar prize or anything. This isn't even a prize. <laughs> so... Anyway, it's a coding challenge. Uh, so yeah, so we will, 
just have it so that it works on phones. We always do to iPhone 5. Phones through, you know, computer screens, regular monitors and such. And that's it. Now, if you have any questions or anything, feel free to DM me or whatever on uh, on Discord. I Yeah, I would say jo- let's join join our Discord and uh it'll be the link will be in the show notes. It's the HTML things Discord. Yes. You can probably go- you can probably Google it pretty easily. Um and all the details will be in the Discord. Like we'll have a post inside of the coding challenges uh thread there. Yeah, the, the channel that will yeah. detail everything. Yeah, that'll detail everything. So. Yeah, so I'll do that. Um also uh this this will be in there too. Just push it to something free. So push it to something like GitHub. And then we can download it and take a look at it. And 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 I want to be clear here: all that tech is supposed to be like the HTML, CSS, and JS is all vanilla, regular crap. I don't. If I have to compile it, you're out of here. I'm not compiling anything. I'm not running Webpack or get. I'm not doing any of that. I want to be able to go into your thing, double click on the HTML, see the slider working, okay, and then uh, like be able to configure some stuff in your manifest. Make sure you comment it properly. Again, an XML file, a JSON file, whatever you prefer. Whatever you're using, whatever tech, another JS file, I don't care. Something where I can go in there and quickly change variables, I don't care. I want that to be a separate file, a completely separate file. So you should have at least three files. You should have an HTML file, a CSS file, a JS file, and a configuration file in whatever format you prefer. Again, I will put these notes in there. You can ask questions and comments and stuff like that in the coding challenge. No due date yet, because I don't know how long this is like a little bit more involved. Um, I'll also put in the Discord, or, or if I forget to, please remind me, uh, just a link to a free stock photo source, so you can just pull in some CCO files, which are like public domain files. You can just pull in some, like, those will be the images you can use. Uh, so yeah, so that's, that's it. Again, community guidelines, no vulgarities and crap, just, just do it up. And we'll probably just share our favorites on the Discord, or like, on our, uh, on our Twitter and stuff like that. Like, whatever. Like, we don't know the... There's no there's no prize for this. You're not getting paid. It's just a coding challenge for fun for the community. So get out there and show us what you got for a slider. Modern slider. Uh, I think that's it. So, yeah. So, so thank you for listening. Uh, make, you, make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. Um, you can uh, follow us on the socials via at HTML, all the things that's on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter. That's on, uh, that's, uh, via at HTML, everything we're on medium and we're on that GitHub and we're also on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, the things check out the tiers, give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. That's Sean from rabbit works, JavaScript, find him at youtube.com slash rabbit works, JavaScript, Garrick from local path computing and web design, find him at local path computing.com. <clears throat> Excuse me, Craig, aka Cosworth, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Self Made Web Designer. Find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker. Find him at thewebhacker.com. And DL Ford from dlford.io. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform you're listening to this on, and we are signing off. Yeah.